G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. David is on the donkey and his dreams are not coming true. He's got a promise from God. You promised me that my name would be great. Through the lineage would come the Messiah. Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill. And as we wrap up the King David series... We're considering God's eternal presence, even when our lives are not going the way we planned. We're looking at the example of King David and the end of his life and rule. Let's get back into it with Pastor Jeff. He's in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Folks, this is, I'll tell you what happens here. David, this is absolutely brilliant. He's sitting on the donkey, riding out of town, and he's about to experience something that's absolutely amazing. Because remember, pre Bathsheba, David let God control everything, didn't he? Remember when he was in the cave? He could have killed Saul. He could have justified it by saying, well, God told me I was going to be king. I'm just going to kill Saul right now and end this misery and take the throne. But he said, what? I dare not touch God's anointed. He said, basically, I will not force God's hand. And David lived years and years in the wilderness waiting to become king patiently. But then after Bathsheba, things changed. I'm taking control of my own life. Power went to his head. He got impatient. I want more women. I mean, it's a story. David had so many. I can't, I mean, come on. Most of us men can't deal with one. I mean, this guy's got wives and wives and wives. Narcissistic, it's all about me, he said. And entitled, bring me Uriah's wife. And then as he's riding on the donkey, something absolutely amazing happens. We pick up the story, verse 23. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. Zadok was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God They set down the ark of God and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. Folks, this is utterly amazing. Now look up. Do you remember the ark? Raiders of the Lost Ark, Harrison Ford. Remember that movie? I love that movie. Remember the ark of God, the box? Don't look at it. Don't touch it. Don't open it. Just bury it, man, and run. I love that movie. Remember at the end of the movie, they're about ready to open it up. And Harrison Ford, I love the statement. He says, they don't know what they're messing with, Elsa. 
And I think it was uh, Karen Allen. He says, close your eyes, man. Don't look at it. Don't just close your eyes. And there's death everywhere. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament? It's a real thing, you know. And the box looks uncanny in its resemblance to the Old Testament Ark. God's presence was said to be in and around the box. Man, if you had the box, you're in good shape. I mean, if you took God and the box to war, you won. It's amazing. God's presence in and around the box. In fact, true story, the Philistines got a hold of the box once and they started winning. That's just crazy. Somehow the presence of God resided in this thing, man. One time they left it at a guy's house and his corn grew higher than the roof and his sheep had quintuplets. I mean, it's a good, don't you wish you had a box like that? And you know, you're getting bullied. Hey, just wait right there. Let me get my box. You get stopped by a police officer for speeding, right? Right? Officer, you might want to take a look in the truck. And don't be afraid to open the box. Now, I love the police officers. I'm just having fun with you. Children, don't make me go get that box. Your wife. Okay, we won't do that one. But you get the picture? David and all his loyal supporters are going out of Jerusalem. And you know what? They've had to hurry, so they can't take everything with them. They're trying to escape the wrath of Absalom. And here's what, you know, they say, hey, we may be leaving, but we're taking that box. We might leave the wife and children, but that box is coming with us. And then they get out to the Kidron Valley and the Kidron River, and they're all crossing it. And David has a defining moment. And he says to the men, hey, guys, stop. Put it down. Pack it up. Send it back to Jerusalem. Oh, man. Send it back to Absalom. I'm sure some of the guys would have thought, hey, David, are you crazy? Can we go with it? No. You know what? Folks, that's like the Lakers defeating the Celtics in Boston, landing in Dallas on the way home, and somebody saying, guys, let's send Kobe and Paul Gasol back to Boston. You're not going to do that, are you? Why does he do it then? Because in that moment, listen, in that moment, David realized that for so many years, he had been trying to manipulate God to control God and have God do what he wanted him to do. And now in this crucial moment of resignation, look what happens. Take the ark back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Do you realize what David is saying? Now, folks, you got to get this. He's saying, God, I'm giving my hopes, my plans, and my dreams, and even the manner in which I thought you would fulfill your promises. I am casting all of that and all my cares on the providential grace of God. Do to me, God, whatever seems good to you. That's fatalism, Jeff. No, it's not. You keep pursuing your goals and your dreams and your objectives. You live life passionately and you live within the parameters God sets forth for your life and you seek him in all wisdom and decisions and you keep his word. But at the end of the day, when you don't get what you want, you trust him. God, I tried real hard, but do with me whatever seems good to you. See, Jeff, why would I ever do that? Why did David do it? Because he knows God is supremely in control and he knows that God knows what he's doing and he knows that God is good. That God is in supreme control, that he knows what he's doing and that he's good. So he says, I'm not fighting it anymore. And it's not fatalism. Go hard after what you want in life. Go hard. But trust God in the end. When David did that, he avoided three mistakes that you and I often make. Quickly, the first is this. He didn't wrap his faith in God around the fulfillment of his dreams. 
Upon what is your faith in God contingent? And whatever that is, that is your idol. I'll believe in God as long as he gives me this. I'll believe in God as long as he doesn't take that away from me. But if he takes that away from me or doesn't give me this, I'm walking. Then that is your idol. And folks, by the way, think about it. Think about how illogical that is. No loving father ever gives the child everything he asks for, especially if that thing will destroy him or his plans for his life. In the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, one of his characters, expresses fear over meeting the Christ figure, As- Aslan, the, the lion. Remember what he says? He's going to meet the lion, and he says, which is Christ. He says, is he safe? And the reply comes back, safe. Who said anything about safe? He's not safe, but he's good. When my mom died, I did not feel very safe. I hated that time, but I can tell you this, so much good. I'm telling you, you know how athletes are narcissistic. We are. And it took, a, it took a life-defining moment for God to shake me up a little bit and say, look, man, every time you're there on a weekend, there are people in every seat who are hurting and who have something in their life they wish would go away. And I didn't know until my mom died that it was possible to hurt that much and still be alive. You're not alone in that. Everybody in the room is like you. But only few of us say, okay, God, Do with me what seems good to you. If your faith in God is contingent upon God giving you what you want, do you know God will expose that? In James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures testing. Blessed is the man who endures testing. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you know the word translated testing is the same word for temptation? You can translate either way there. And some of your translations might say temptation. Do you know why? Because God sends you a test to reveal whether or not you're the real thing. If you're not the real thing, if you are the real thing, then it's dokomion is the Greek word. It's like a diamond placed under a microscope. And it's been revealed that you're the genuine, authentic article. But when the test comes and you walk away, it's proof that you're not the genuine article. And the test then becomes a temptation and you fail. And it's not that God needs to know whether you're faithful. He wants you to know whether or not you're faithful. Number two, he did not wrap his faith in God around his assumptions concerning when and how God would fulfill his promises. Now stay with me here. What did God promise David? That he would have an heir on the throne and that his name would live forever. David's name did live forever, didn't it? And he did have an heir on the throne, even though from David's point of view, Amnon, my firstborn is dead, my secondborn is dead, and Absalom's trying to kill me. How's it gonna happen? And God brings the promise to fruition, believe it or not, through Bathsheba's second son, Solomon. Folks, what has he promised us? What promise do you have from God, really? That you'll never have any pain? I don't think so. The promise is he'll never leave you nor forsake you. What does that look like? Let me tell you the way we think it looks. God will never leave me or forsake me, then I will never be in need of anything. I'll have plenty of money. My kids will always be healthy. I'll always be healthy. And I'll always get the promotion at my workplace. That means God is with me. Yeah. Because basically, nothing bad ever happens to good people. And I'm basically good people. You know the problem with that is? It's not letting God be God. Remember what happened to Job? 38 chapters. He says, God, if you just explain to me why this is happening, you and I know because we read it. If you just tell me why these things are happening, then I'll be able to embrace it, deal with it, and be faithful. And God said to Job, really? 
Yes, God. If I have an exhaustive understanding of my pain, I'll be able to deal with it. God says, okay, all right. 38 chapters, Job says that. And God says, all right, let me get this straight. If you have an exhaustive understanding of your pain, you'll deal with it. Yes, God. Okay, I got a few questions for you, Job. Number one, where were you when I created the foundations of the world? Can you explain to me the depths of the ocean, the vastness of the universe, the cosmos, the galaxies? You don't even understand how it is a mother goat gives birth to the young in the wilderness. Do you have an exhaustive, intricate, detailed understanding of everything that happens in your life and in the world? The sun going up and down, you know that it happens or it appears to happen that way, but can you explain it? No, you can't, Job. And what I'm saying to you is, there's thousands of things that happen every day in your life for which you do not have exhaustive understanding, yet you readily accept them. Your pain is no different. What I do give you, and Job says it at the end of the book, I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand on the earth. What's Job saying? I know that I don't know why it's happening now, but one day he will stand and reveal all and I'm on his side. He doesn't give you exhaustive understanding prevailing presence. Hebrews 13, powerful passage. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Why? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wow. What does coveting have to do with God never leaving us? Because when you don't get what you think you deserve, and when your life's not turning out the way you thought it would, there's a part of you that says, you know what? It's obvious. God has left me. He's left the building. He doesn't care. And the writer says, no, God is there. He just knows what's best and he is good and he can be trusted. So you have to decide, are you going to trust him or keep coveting what you don't have? David did not take matters into his own hands and try to force his will on the situation. By the way, folks, do you know what happened when David did this? When he said, do to me, as it seems good to you. Do you know what happened? He got his kingdom back. Everything was restored. I'm not saying that's always going to happen with you, but sometimes when God's trying to get your attention, when you finally submit, sometimes things just start falling in place again. And it's not like David's not going to make more mistakes. He will, but he lives out the rest of his life with God. And this entire unfortunate event opens his eyes that God is sovereign over life, that we are to trust in his goodwill and to fear and to respect God and allow him to do to me whatever seems good to you. And he writes his last psalm, and it's recorded basically, believe it or not, not in the Psalms, in 2 Samuel 23, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, knowing that God is sovereign, he is like the light of the morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after the rain that brings grass from the earth. You know what he's saying? When you get to the point in your life and you stop taking control of it, when you pursue your dreams with everything, but you allow God to be God, when you get to that point in your life, here's what's going to happen. <sighs> okay, God, not going to fight you anymore. Not going to fight. I'm going to trust you to do to me and with me what seems good to you. And by the way, folks, in ministry, I've learned that when bad things happen to us, and they do, one of two things happens to every one of us in the room. Either one our heart becomes hard and bitter at God and we run. Or two, our heart becomes soft and we become these incredible people of grace and mercy and love to care for others because we know what it's like when we want to be cared for. And the only way, folks, that you're ever going to be able to do that is when you see your entire life through the cross. Isn't it amazing that how similar David's words are to Jesus in the garden? If it be your what? 
Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Do to me what seems good to you. That sounds incredibly similar. What if God had answered Jesus' prayer in the garden, the first prayer, take this cup from me? What would have happened? Now you think about that for a moment. Isn't it true that the most pain Jesus suffered on the earth was on the cross? And yet that was the time he was most in the center of the will of his father. And if God would have said, you know what? Come down from that cross. No, I'm not, this is not, I'm not gonna allow this. Then you and I'd have no hope, no salvation, no heaven, and we'd be separated from God for all of eternity. <coughs> Which proves that sometimes when God says no, it's a good answer. Have you given your life to him that way yet, folks? To where you can be like Joseph, coat of many colors. All these things happen for this reason. Or like Mary, who must have been incredibly frustrated when she found out she was pregnant and didn't have a husband, especially in her culture. Or like David. Are you like those who have lost spouses, children, jobs, money, and still you said, God, my life stinks. It's okay to tell him. My life stinks, but even though my hopes and dreams are not going to be fulfilled. I'm going to cast all my hopes and cares and dreams on the providential grace of God. And God, do to me what seems good to you. And the only way you'll ever be able to say that is because you know that one day your Redeemer lives and will stand on the earth and will make it all clear to you. And at that point, you will say, my goodness, was that why all that happened? Whoo! And you'll remember it for five billion, 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 billion eons. How that short little life of 65 to 70 years, sometimes shorter, cannot compare with what God's going to show you. And those who say, here I am, God, do to me what seems good to you. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. It is my prayer right now in the name of Jesus that those who need comfort would be comforted. Father, that those who feel lost would be found. Father, I, I pray that we would be the type of people at Christ Church of the Valley that put our hands, raise them toward heaven. When our life is not turning out the way we hoped or thought or dreamed, we would still cast our cares and our hopes and our plans on your providential grace. And whatever comes our way, we would never even think about walking away, but instead would run closer to you, embracing your prevailing presence that will give us the courage and the ability to endure whatever it is you've called us to endure. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of our message on what sovereignty really means. It's also the end of the message series on King David. So we can look forward to a new message next time from Pastor Jeff. Those of you who have been in spiritual winter for so long, if you'll just stay with me, you can see the sun come out from behind the clouds. Brightness will come and you can return to what you once had or get what you've never had in the first place.
Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.